0: I was a Buddhist monk for 15 years. I traveled around the world. I just felt this need to do all sorts of different things, the bungee jumping and going to India and you name it. But one of the things I really wanted to do was learn to meditate. I thought I'd like to have an impact in the world. I'll become an executive coach. So I found out about Agile, so I became a scrum master. The superpower I'd like us to explore today is wisdom listen and know what wisdom is so that you can respond to the situation. From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy
1: Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a small or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey, folks! Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I am your host, Paddy Danda, and today I have a guest who's given me a really difficult job. He has a name that I know I'm going to mess up, so I'm going to try it really slowly in a moment. But he's someone who helps people stay calm and connected in complex situations. And I'm going to get him to explain what that means fully and uh, what he actually does for a living as well in a moment. So I'd love to welcome our special guest today, Amor Renato, to the show. Hey, Amor, how are you <laughs> doing? I'm doing good. Hi,
0: nice to see you, Paddy. Lovely. Yeah, oh, really lovely.
1: Only you and I know how many takes that took, so
0: that's <laughs> would <be> our secret.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: superpower.
1: Super- oh, well, Superman would never get your name wrong, would he? So... Amma, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you Amma for the rest of yep, the Yeah, that's fine, we'll, absolutely. Yeah. I will absolutely make an idiot of myself. So I do apologize for not getting your name correct. That's why I call myself Paddy, because I get my actual name <laughs> wrong all the time. <laughs> so Amma, would you like to tell us a little bit about your background?
0: Yes, I'd love to do that. So my background is that I was a Buddhist monk for fifteen years. And in my life, I've done actually everything backwards. So I actually, I started off in the computer industry at a very young age in parallel processing. And then I went to university to study artificial intelligence. I traveled around the world. And during that time of traveling around the world, I just felt this need to do all sorts of different things, the bungee jumping and going to India and you name it. But well, one of the things I really wanted to do was learn to meditate, and I did a meditation course, and it had such a sort of profound effect on me that from that time onwards, I decided I wanted to become a Buddhist monk. So I actually came back to England, and um, I ordained in just outside London, a monastery in the English countryside, and became a monk for 15 years. Ten years of those times. I lived in a monastery in London and 5 years I created my own brand and traveled around the world and that brand was called Playful Monk and there's a whole story to why that came but so I I ended up in Australia teaching out there and running lots of different courses where I was integrating if you like mindfulness awareness self awareness with personal development and finding out who you are and recognizing peace and Of course my time as a monk you also spend your time in solitude and alone and i did a six weeks retreat in the australian outback and during that time i woke up and my monk time was finished and so i've trusted that for most of my life that sense of clarity and i i uh i came back to england i thought who can I, what can I do with all the skills? I've worked with lots of different people from r- very rich to very poor. And I thought I'd like to have an impact in the world. I'll become an executive coach. And so I did that. And then I'm actually, I'm English. I'm now living in the Netherlands. This is my beautiful background near where I live. and um, And here I expanded that because I found out about Agile here. I didn't really know about it. I knew like that way of operating but i didn't know how had a language i've been using it for a long time and I, so i became a scrum master and then through my experience of working with so many people other coaches asked me what how do you work what how do you work so well and basically i then became a coaching supervisor so i look after and work with other coaches and also within the agile world as well agile coaches and recently for the last year and a half i've been working as a head of faculty and leadership for a company called Blend. They support the NHS executives and I support the coaching faculty there. We have 35 coaches and five or six of them are supervisors. So that's the very, very condensed story of how we got here today because we connected through Agile in that way. Ah, oh, um, fantastic.
1: I was going to say, am I? is there anything
0: you can't do because
1: you've <laughs> got this human side and yet you've got the tech side as well and it sort of you brought it all together which is kind of interesting not many people have all of these different aspects i think
0: no and that it's good that you say it in that way because the i went to university and i studied artificial intelligence and that's actually what happened to me it was that i was involved in tech i was involved in parallel processing and all of that side of it but there was a human element missing And I wanted that human element. And then studying artificial intelligence, of course, brings those two things together. If you want to make computers like humans, yeah, you have to understand who you are. And so actually, that was the sort of trajectory because of getting me to understand who I was. I needed to understand my own emotions. And I I needed to understand how I worked. And so I have brought those two things together. And in the world of AI, which... I see is quite still quite limited. The lack of, we were told that introspection doesn't work, and yet I spent a whole chunk of my time introspecting, not just looking at the fluff in my navel, but actually understanding the nature of mind. So this has been really helpful when I'm working with people in tech, because I can bring those two elements together.
1: If I could think of a guest that
0: epitomizes the philosophy behind this podcast, like
1: You meet that brief perfectly, just from what you've said there in that background. And so that brings me on to, what is a superpower you'd like us to talk about today
0: on this episode? The superpower I'd like us to explore today is wisdom. The reason for that, thinking about that, is there's so much talk today about this chat, GBT, and how brilliant it is. And I've used it myself, like yourself, yeah. and I found it amazing. It's really... Extraordinary what it can do. But anybody from an AI background will know the wisdom is not in the program itself dishing out the data. It's in the user and the person that programmed it and the way it was programmed, not the data sets, but actually the way that it was formed. That's where the wisdom is. And you can see how clever people have become in using Chat GBT. It's extraordinary what people have done through their own wisdom. But the wisdom I'm really talking about is the ability to know yourself, know thyself. And this is, as a leadership coach, this is the priority. Can you know yourself?
1: When I think of wisdom, I think of someone who has lots of worldly experiences. And so they can bring those experiences to the table. And in challenges that they face, they can then make better decisions maybe. Yeah,
0: your definition? My one goes a little bit further, and it is really the ability to know your, yourself fully, all the ins and the outs, because how do you make those decisions? So just before this call, I was having a, an executive coaching session with a person that's running a very large organization, I don't know, 10,000 people or something. So they're right at the top. And we were just exploring what it's like to be at that level, a CEO at that level, and a sense of how to delegate, how to make effective decisions, the stress that's involved with those jobs, and how to listen to oneself and listen to that insight, listen and know what wisdom is so that you can respond to the situation, not out of habit, not out of social pressure, not out of cultural pressure, but this sense of really deep knowing. And of course, my experience as a monk has allowed me to, to know what that is for myself and then help other people to also recognize that for themselves. And it's not that it's just, you need to be in a special situation. You don't need to be in a monastery, but you do need to have the ability to listen and know yourself and really slow down and see what arises out of one's mind, you know? Because just like GPT, you put in a good question, you get a good answer. Put in a rubbish question, you might not get such a brilliant answer yet. Yeah. So we're quite happy with that, aren't we? That's no problem. But what happens when it happens in our minds? Do we recognize that when we put garbage in, we get a weird answer? So what happens when you put rubbish into your own mind Yeah. Or you put good stuff into your own mind. Can you really recognize your own wisdom? Are you willing to really share it? Are you really willing to bring it out and acknowledge that you have wisdom? How do you capture that? How do you know when you have wisdom? And for me, this is knowing your ego. How do you know yourself well enough? How do you know all the facets of your stuff, of your personality, so that you can really trust trust yourself? When you're in a leadership position, you have to know that. Because otherwise, you'll be influenced by everybody around you. Oh, no, do it this way or do it that way. And of course, one has to listen. One has to receive all that information and also ask other people's views and make it collaborative. But in order to do that, you have to know your biases. And one of those biases is like the subtraction bias. I don't know if you know that one, but it's a really interesting bias, which is that rather than adding things to the situation, we, rem- we can remove things. From the situation so we take away things so what would it be like to take away say working too late right rather than saying oh i need to do more you see what would happen if you just give yourself a little bit less less work time so that you can spend more time to reflect and inquire what is it you would like what choices would you like to make rather than being one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting and this is one of the sort of the leftovers maybe from the pandemic where we go from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting yeah but why who says we have to do that can we pause can we notice can we see what's really needed in that situation is that meeting really needed and this whole thing in agile isn't it the whole thing is about people over process so do we lean too much into the process? Forget about the messiness of people. People are messy. It's complex, isn't it? Emotions. How, how dare they be so messy? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <I
1: know. laughs> how dare they be? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be really keen to know from your experiences as a monk. Obviously, I can't even fathom the sort of things that you've learned about yourself and about life going through that experience. Could you give us a snapshot of the sort of things that you came to realize having gone through that experience that has now helped you, I guess, discover these things? Because the average guy in the street or the average woman in the street, if I say to them, we're going to record a podcast and uh, we're going to talk about something human oriented, I don't think many people will come along and go, let's talk about wisdom. So obviously you've been informed about that topic based on those experiences that you've had. So I'd love to kind of know
0: what's influenced that. And if you could give us some insight into that world. There's one story that comes to mind immediately. And I'd like to share that. So I've done lots of meditation retreats, but when I, and in the monastery, I got this opportunity to do a three month silent retreat. So it was in the Norfolk countryside in a farm, no no neighbors, nothing. So it was a very remote place. And I was brought food once a month. And, and I was cooking for myself. We only, you don't eat after midday, so you just have a, one main meal and breakfast. And I don't know, maybe I was in a few weeks into the retreat, right? And I was in the kitchen and I was cleaning up the pots and the pans after I've eaten. And I heard this voice say to me, you didn't clean the pots and the pans very well, did you? And I was so taken aback by it, I actually physically turned around and looked because I thought that there was somebody in the room. It sort of, it freaked me out that much. And at that point, I recognized the voice in my head. I'd never seen that the voice in the head, the one that goes chit chat so clearly because it the mind had gone quite quiet and then it'd come up. it really taken up all the space in my mind with this voice. So I paused. This is interesting. And then I sort of heard it through a senior monk's voice, like, like a leader saying, don't do this. You haven't cleaned the pans properly. And then I, and I explored it any, even more. And I realized nobody's there. I've got my inner chat GBT giving me an answer based on, on some situation, which is not real. There was nobody there judging me. Who was judging me? An internal voice. When you get this perspective, of course, then you think, well, what about the rest of the other voices that are going on?
1: Before we continue, here's a quick word about the sponsors of this show. So, your execs have decided to go through a big transformation to change your ways of working. They've restructured the teams, invested in new tools and techniques. But there's one small problem how do we measure our improvement consistently? across the organization without falling into the trap of relying on what we call vanity metrics. Yup, those KPIs that look great on paper, but just aren't very useful. I wanna introduce you to Comparative Agility. It's the world's largest continuous improvement platform. They've gathered over 4 million data points from thousands of organizations so that you can benchmark your maturity against the world index or compare yourself to your industry. They have a wide range of different surveys covering topics such as business agility, psychological safety, DevOps, employee engagement, and many more. What makes these surveys so valuable is that they've been written by respected thought leaders who are experts in their field, such as Mike Cohen from the world of agile, all the way through to Dr. Amy Edmondson. So whether you're a coach, team manager, or a transformational leader, be sure to check out Comparative Agility to help implement a culture of continuous improvement. Best of all, you can test drive the platform completely free. To find out more, check out the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode.
0: And then I started listening to the other voices and I had lots of them. So you can hear this is, oh, he's a bit crazy. He's got all the voices. But this is actually, I think it's the other way around. When we don't know our voices, And we don't know our inner wisdom. We're led by anything. We're led by any bit of data that comes into our mind. Go left. Why? Go left. Right? Do this to the team. This, I don't like this person. Why? Well, I don't. He's from this culture or that culture or he has this social, but, you know. So this ability to stop, be with the voices in the head, yeah, allows you then to let all of those voices go to to have them in their place to get to know yourself really well and then to let wisdom just come to the surface i often think of that merlin where, he, where you see that point where they brings the sword through the water it's very quiet and then the sword comes through the water and it you've seen it in some of those films right that for me is wisdom like there's this just this Maybe set of words or thoughts or picture or something, and it just comes to the surface, and one recognizes that. And there's such a beauty to that, and you know it. You know it in your heart, you know it in your being. And I don't think there's anybody that really hasn't had that. I honestly believe that we may not have had it, we may have only had one, or we may have only had it for a short time, but I think we've had that. And so in the monastery, you sort of cultivate that, you cultivate that quality of listening. So when you can be comfortable with yourself in that way, of course, that helps you to be able to listen to other people. If you can listen to yourself, if you can also listen to other people. And so I've worked a lot with using and helping people to be with silence. You know, I've run so many workshops now. On, it's called What Happens When Nothing Happens, right. uh, around learning to use silence. So that you can hear what's going on, not just uh, with your hearing, but with all your body. This it's generative listening—it's called. It's Otto Schormer has done these different levels of listening, and the deepest level of listening is the one where we use all our senses, not just our ears. And so, there's so much, so much data, rich data we can pick up. Which we can put into our internal GBT and get some pretty good answers, and then we can, and then ultimately we can let go of the whole machine, of course, and that's where pieces, is. pieces is in the centre of that. So depending where we go in our journey, I mean not just here, but I mean it, it when I'm working with my clients. So sometimes it's the more normal executive stuff. How do I work with my meetings and delegation and all that sort of stuff, and then the other part is all mindfulness and how to be self-aware and then the other one is ultimately how do you recognize peace that how why is staying calm and connected so it's easy to say calm right and often in the mindfulness world we stop at calm but when i was trained as a monk calm is the starting place not the end place it's the place where you can start to recognize so the connection is that you want to bring your calm out to other people. So you connect to yourself, and then you connect to other people. And if you connect to other people, that's impact. That's how we all want results in some form or another. There's different ways of doing that. My one is through a sense of calm. Now usually, people interpret calm as just, oh well, Renato he's all even, nothing affects him. But that's not true. That's not true at all. I have my ups and down days, I'm, but my way of responding to that is very different. It's very different.
1: I'm just fascinated.
0: <laughs> Even just listening to you, Amar, I don't think I've ever
1: had a guest where I just don't want to ask any questions and just listen because there's just so much deep wisdom coming out here. So it's a really tough interview for me. Not in terms of in a bad way, but as in there are moments when I just want to dive in, but I don't because I am listening and I want to listen.
0: So it's yeah. kind of
1: interesting how that is. dynamic works.
0: It is. So tell me, if you did dive in, what would you ask?
1: I think my immediate reaction was I'm just so fascinated by the lifestyle of a monk. Like, how do you develop these? superpowers you mentioned you've kind of gone through that experience is there a almost like a program that you have to go through and if somebody wanted to try some of this at home is there a set of mini activities even that i could start doing to practice some of
0: this okay so people of course have asked me and they asked me even at the monastery i ran these family camps and people started asking me how did you do that they were very successful and i ended up running teenage retreats and young people retreats and so on out of that and I had to work in some ways I had to work out what I was doing but one of I mean one of the reasons was I was actually in supervision myself so I had a psychotherapist supervisor supporting me in the work I did and then I I had this strong inclination about play that play is really important for learning and the research backs this now I mean there's tons of research which says play is the best way and of course Scrum and Agile has this as a key thing to have those types of exercises to do that. So when I sat down and started to think about what do I actually do, I came up with a framework, right? And it was called the Playful Monk approach. And so the first one is a bit like what we did, we just started, which is we co explored together, like you ask questions, I, and we come into relationship. Yeah. So that's the exploration part of it, the willingness to really, yeah explore ask a question see where it goes it might not always be right it's in agile it would also be sort of safe to fail and then the second one is play like how do you make that playful how do you do that and one of the one of the ways i found play to make it work is you have to use your body not just your mind so we have a lot of games we have a lot of play exercises which are with the mind But if you look at a baby doesn't need any of that, a baby takes a foot and explores it and plays with it. And oh, it's back again. They don't know it's even there yet. All of that. So it's that playful attitude of using the body. And then when we bring explore and play together, what I found is you need to be super kind to yourself. And the reason for that is because it can go deep and it can go deep quite fast. And so my third thing is love is how can you bring kindness to yourself and of course when you feel love you feel abundant and so you want to share because you've got enough so there's a sidekick to that as well so love gives you the ability to share in both to yourself and then to others and when you bring those three things together you develop or recognize presence And presence has been researched. Actually, there's a paper by Dan Siegel, Professor Dan Siegel on presence, a scientific paper. And presence is your ability to be with any situation as it is. So the more that you can be kind to yourself, make it playful, explore your ability to stay with what's going on, whatever it is. And I've tested this out numerous times in all sorts of adversities. When it's been really brilliant and life's really excellent and when it's been absolutely terrible, I've explored that and seeing is that is it possible. And I've found it is possible and I've found my clients find it possible as well. And then the last one is out of that you get connection. And that connection is both inward and outward. And when you really recognize connection, you f- you, you recognize peace. You recognize the inseparability of our lives. So what's one simple step that you can do in all of that? I mean, and it's in a way slightly classical, but it's still very valid. And that is to become aware of your breathing.
1: I haven't done yoga, personally, but I see my mum; She likes to do it and she watches lots of videos and things like that. (laughs) Okay. But one of the things I often hear is that we've forgotten how to breathe. And I find that. Remarkable. I was like, what? We all breathe. Surely it's not that hard.
0: But yes. do tell us more. So, the way that we breathe connects to our physiology. So, if you just think about a slightly nervous situation, yeah, then immediately the breast can go, right? And what that does is it reduces blood to your front part of your brain. So, you can't think. And if you get in a really mess with it, yeah, it will stop you digesting food because all the blood rush away out of out all the stomach and into the arms It's the fight and flight response. But that's through your breathing. So your ability to connect and your breath also connects you to your body. Right? If you if you sit still for a while and you observe your breath, right? You'll notice that your shoulders move or your toes move. It's all connected because it's physiological, you know, there's a diaphragm and you know, that, that's connected to your bones. And so you can feel, you can start, and that will then connect you to your physical sensations. And your physical sensations can connect you to your mind. It can also be the other way around. It can be that you notice your emotions and doing that, that, that way around as well. And it's very, that in the West, it's very important that we do also recognize the nature of our mind. But as a starting place, the breath can really help us to calm down. So I'm also using technology for this nowadays. So you might have seen on my finger when I move my head, I'm wearing an aura ring right now, so, which records heart rate variability and uh, your oxygen levels at night, quality of sleep, rest, and all these types of things. And I'm working with executives using sports performance software. So this connects to a, a thing called PQ, which I'm using through Blend that I work with in the UK. And and that helps to see how our breathing yeah, and our heart rate variability connects to our performance. Now, so not as an elite athlete, but as an elite executive. And it's really fascinating to see, really fascinating to see. And so this is data. This is not somebody knocking it up and just making a nice graph. This is what comes out of my, your, the people that work with his body. And there's a story to say with that. It tells a story and it connects to one's way of operating and how one can deal with the sense of stress and how that comes into one's life.
1: And how should we breathe in a typical way? So when I start concentrating on my breathing, then I'm all of a sudden breathing quite deep because I'm now conscious of it. Great. If I was brushing my teeth, I'd be just on autopilot.
0: and Yes, so that's the word, autopilot. So the thing is to come off autopilot and to notice when one is in autopilot. So not to burden oneself with becoming like, oh, I've got to do it all the time because that's also a pain, right? But the thing is to notice how it is. So actually, the way that I understand about breathing is one is it's really good to keep your mouth shut and not breathe through your mouth. And the other one is, that, is to reduce your breathing. So I've also, I've done lots of different things. So, but I learned a method which allows me to reduce my breathing. So actually I breath hold, I hold my breath to expand about how many breaths I need in any given minute. So, and that that has a profound effect on on your ability to deal with stress. And the way that you stay calm, so that's a sort of forced method, right? You can train yourself in that way. And as a monk, I learned to observe my breathing as it was, and be with that, and let the let the mind settle for itself, right? And do you know those snowflake things you get in a glass jar? You sort of shake them up and down, and then so it's a bit like that. You shake it up and down. That's your emotions, and then you pause, and then the snowflakes, they drop down. Well that's what you can do with you by observing your breath. And then it all comes down. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And Amar, if somebody out
1: there was thinking again, I'm gonna go back to the monk's lifestyle. Like, can you paint a picture for us as to how difficult or easy it is to go through that experience? Because I I guess it's not for everybody, or maybe there's some work to do before you take that step.
0: So I only did it as a calling, right? And I would recommend you only do it as a calling. So you might want to do it as an experience, a short experience, but if you actually really want to be dedicated, it's really tough. Yeah. What's tough? Because you give up everything. So I gave up money, sex, dancing, singing, woke up at, I don't know, 4.30 every morning. and you put yourself in an artificial box so that you can see yourself more clearly, and in the monastery I was involved with, there was only one purpose of it. It wasn't social work or anything it, or any anything. it was around waking up and seeing who you really are, and if you commit to that as if you commit to anything, yeah it it will bring up everything that you it will do the opposite to what you think, so you think you go in there for peace. And actually, what happens is you get to see all of yourself and Pete. All of it. I was very lucky because at the time that I was a monk, I also had a psychotherapy with, alongside of it, which really supported me in being able to deal with what arose through that. I have an extreme personality. Maybe you've worked that one out, already. <laughs> but it's also sort of the people that I work with. I work with really fast-thinking, talented creative executives that like a lot of my executives are like marathon runners or that type of stuff and they work at such high speed that they need somebody to meet them at that speed but that's my training has been a bit like that not the one that has to live that and I don't live that lifestyle now I, I'm in a relationship I eat in the evenings I do like dancing and singing <laughs> as well so it's it's not an exclusive I and I've you don't need to be in a monastery to do these things at all. I happen to, have, I happen to get attracted to that lifestyle, but you don't have to. You, anybody actually can do it if they're willing to really explore and really willing and curious enough to see why am I here, why am I on this planet? What made you then step out of that lifestyle? So this sort of goes back to decision making in a way. So I joined the monastery through a very strong calling, like literally grab my hair. You're going to the monastery. And I left the monast, I left the monkhood with the same clarity. I, and I, I it, this is where it relates to wisdom, which is wisdom for me is knowing, not thought or clever words, but knowing. And when you know, That's it, and can you really trust that? Can are you really willing? Doesn't matter what the outcome is, because the outcome for me was not good in the beginning. Like I, I was in Australia, I had a religious workers visa, and I had to leave within after I disrobed three weeks. There was and nobody wanted me in my lay my jeans, even though I had all this experience in Australia. So I had to go. So I came back to England, and I made lots of mistakes when I started my business. And particularly when I moved to the Netherlands, I I forgot. I, you don't do self promotion as a monk, really. It's it's not the thing. And and as a business person, you have to do self promotion. So I've learned how to do these things. Yeah, out out of now, out of kindness and generosity, which is funny enough, exactly what I did as a monk. Fascinating. In Sikhism, which is uh, a religion. That, that yeah. I follow. I'm not
1: yes. particularly religious, but it plays a huge part in our lives. And many aspects of Sikhism I absolutely love and embrace because I think it's about really being a good human being. And yes. one of the big things in Sikhism is about ego. And you alluded to this earlier as well. Yes. We call it Haman, which is yeah. your ego. Yes. And I find when I'm working with others, yes not all of us think that way about controlling your ego i see some people who are quite openly what's the word they're not afraid of suppressing that ego no in a way it helps them maybe become a certain character at work yes but i'm always conscious and maybe that's the upbringing i've had is always stay humble and don't self-promote and all of those good things i mean what's your view on ego is that something that all of us should think about more, or is that
0: something that is just a, a, another aspect? So I would say to make it like a really good friend, like your best friend, but don't let it run the shop. That's all. You don't want to get rid of it. You don't want to kill it, stamp it out, say it's a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But if you let it run the shop, if you let it run your life, it will run your life. And you'll be chasing behind it all the time. And so, and this is why the coaching stance is so, so beautiful and why I feel it's so important, particularly the not agile coach, but I can't think of the right word, but like executive coaching or the coach. Yeah. That, that stance is so important or life coaching stance. And rather than saying that person is wrong or bad or they shouldn't do that. It's like, how do you engage with that person? How, what what is the stance that you need to take to understand where they're coming from because they're a human being and they're saying something to you. right? So, it, uh, the only job for you, for what I recognise is for myself, is to understand my own ego, right, and see what we see where that is, and then, in relationship to others, I can, I can see how it responds or reacts. And sometimes it's a bit dodgy, <laughs> <laughs> let's put it like that, because it gets triggered, still gets triggered, but my capacity to observe that and with the people I work with, it's very high. So I, you know, I choose not to do that. And uh, and so you know, it's good to really understand yourself and uh, ego is just one part of who we are, but it, and there's a lot of other parts there. There's a lot of other parts. And being able to see that is is to allow yourself to flourish as a human being, to have these qualities of humility and compassion and all these soft skills, uh, which are not really soft as much. Soft skills are hard, as I heard. Yeah, that's right. It's classic. Yeah, <laughs> classic. So, and they're in all religions, and in the in the, in the belief, in the belief systems as well. We, the wisdom traditions of the world all point to this. Do unto yourself as you would like to do to others. Yesterday, I had an amazing conversation with somebody in America, you know, working in a very conventional business, but such wisdom. He's dedicated his life to this business. He's now diversity inclusion officer, and just. So beautiful to hear. And his first line to me was exactly that. I just want to do, I just want to help other people as I've been helped. I don't want to harm it. I think, wow, it's just lovely. And of course, you're going to get the other end of the spectrum. You're going to get that. It, there's no escape from that because we're all not perfect. We all have off days. That's how it is. So, how can we be with that and be kind to ourselves and what the other person might be going through? We may not even know what's gone, what's gone on. We have no idea. And we can also train and restructure our ego. That's mindset, the gross mindset. So, so playful monk is play and the monk sort of mindset is in a way the gross mindset. It's a bit more than that, but it's conventionally speaking or scientifically that that's one or the agile mindset. You could also say. It's the agile mindset of being fluid and responsive to what life presents you. We're running out of time, but I have a (laughs) burning
1: (laughs) question to end the show on, which is in the world that we live in now with AI, ChatGPT, BARD, all of these fancy (laughs) tools that are coming out, what hope is there for the human race going forward, especially around human skills? because? I hear a lot of people quite afraid at the moment, thinking, yes. am I yeah. going to be needed? Yeah. Where should I be focusing? Perhaps I need a career change, all of these good things. So from your perspective, I'd love to know, what do you see us doing in the future and can you give us some hope and
0: inspiration? Yeah. So a really big question you, um, Yeah, and what I would see. And with my AI background is that we could really lean into AI as an augmented technology, which means that you use it with human understanding. Now that could be really powerful. That could give people more time. So we're, we're in this, we're in a land of possibilities where we could actually use technology for our good. For our own welfare. Now, whether we choose to do that is actually goes back to where we started in our dialogue, which is whether there's wisdom or not. And wisdom comes through knowing yourself. So, if you don't, this ability to know yourself allows you to then use technology to enable rather than disable. It allows you to generate compassion and kindness, creativity, because the technology right now doesn't have that level of creativity of a human being that innovation and so there's for sure it's difficult times and structures are falling down but there's also an opportunity for regrowth you know i lived in australia and i'm reminded of the burn-offs that the aboriginals did so every year they would go out into the into their lands and they'd burn the land right and they'd set it afire so that the so that they could be regrowth right so we, we don't have that idea of the way that we treat nature in the West, we just think, oh, we'll, we'll just let it grow or we'll manage it in some way. But sometimes things need to be burnt down to the ground so that they can be developed in a different way. So I don't have the answers. Yeah. But I'm willing to stay with the uncertainty of that and the not knowing and seeing what the possibilities are that come from that. And I think in that place, it's also a very exciting time because maybe also more people will choose to wake up, as they did in the pandemic. Many people for the first time decided, I don't want the two-hour commute anymore, because they had the time to reflect on it. And self-reflection, this ability to listen to oneself, is key in this. Wow, and thank you, because that's the way i've been
1: thinking but it's good to hear other people also thinking that way especially those opportunities that this can bring i always use a silly example of the microwave and i think if we go back to the time of the microwave when it first came out and was invented i bet all the people that were producing cookers were like oh my god we're now going to be redundant but actually what's happened is we like to use a bit of both and one thing will never replace the other it's sometimes a case of you know, leading into the thing that you need at that time and making your life easier in some ways, but yet you'll still find value in doing things in a more traditional way as well. So yeah. I hope AI also brings this out in people. And you mentioned there about perhaps it's going to make our lives easier if we do all the stuff we didn't want to do before through AI, and then let's focus on the good things and let's focus on... right.
0: And Imagine what we could do with our time in terms of connection of society build. I mean, art is so important for our society. It's not just their pretty pictures on the wall. It's the way that we've generated ideas. I mean, Dave Snowden talks a lot about this. So there's lots of things that we can do. And my life and time at the monastery really showed me that now I'm in a different stru- You know, now I'm in a different system. So I'm like part, partly like everybody else as well. And it's like, how do you use that form? How do you use it skillfully? Yeah, so that, you, so that there's a possibility for everybody to have a bit of the cake. Really. Perfect.
1: Well, Emma, we're out of time and I just want to thank you so much. It's been fascinating. I've certainly become a little bit wiser than I was at the start of the conversation. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Fan. For-